Why don't you uh, open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Second Chronicles. And um, we're going to dig in to our subject matter there. Hallelujah. Has God been good to anybody here today? He is so wonderful. We're so thankful for all that he's done and uh, and the blessing that we have to live here in the United States of America. And some of you come from a long ways to get here. As a matter of fact, those of you who were not born in the United States of America, would you rise? We know there's a lot of you in the house. Yeah. God bless all of you. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I tell you, it's a, an amazing thing to uh, behold the, the, the beautiful work that God's done, not just in, in our nation, but, but the fact that he's done it right here in this house. That he's drawn from every tribe and every nation and every race and brought us all together worshiping under the banner of the cross of Christ in one place and one with one heart and in one accord. That's a beautiful thing. So, so you know what it means? It means there's less adjustment for us when we get to heaven because that's what heaven's like. People that only hang out with their own little group they're going to find out heaven has a whole lot more than their own little group in there. You know what I'm saying? All right. Second Chronicles. Why don't you go to chapter 10? And uh, what, what I want to do is I want to uh, learn some lessons today. You know, there's uh, lots of lessons to learn from Scripture. The, uh, the Apostle Paul over in First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 10 uh, talked about the things that happened to Israel being written for our admonition and, and an example for us to, to either follow or in some cases an example not to follow. Uh, but, but things for us to learn from us upon whom the ends of the world are come, he said. And so for us upon whom the ends of the world are come, we want to look back at some uh, uh, things that we can learn from uh, the, the lives of those in the Old Testament, uh, some things they did wrong, some things they did right. But I got to tell you what we're going to focus in today is some of the things not to do. And uh, we're going to learn some lessons from the kings of Judah. So that, if you want a title for today's message, that's what it would be. Lessons from the kings of Judah. Um, the nation of Israel... Uh, consists of 12 tribes and, and what happened, you had uh, King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and then King David. Following him was King Solomon. And then during the uh, reign of uh, King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the, there was a split in the kingdom where you had 10 tribes go north and the, they were considered the northern kingdom of uh, Israel. And uh, then you had two kingdoms 
who, who separated and remained in the south part with their capital is Jerusalem. And those tribes were the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. But overall, it was called the kingdom of uh, Judah. And uh, so I, I want to uh, l- look at the, the kings of Judah uh, as we have re- recording of uh, what happened in their lives and in their reigns in the book of Second Chronicles. And there's a whole lot of lessons to learn. And uh, there are some things to learn of what to do and what not to do. We only got time to do one today. So we're going to do the what not to do. Uh, Second Chronicles chapter 10, are you there? Yes. Take a look at verse 4 through 5. And I want you to know as we're reading this is that we're going to read the actual incident that caused the split of the kingdom to begin with. This is the thing that actually caused a split that resulted in 10 tribes going one way and then Judah being its only its own kingdom with Judah and Benjamin in the south. Look at verse 4 of chapter 10. Now, uh, these are the, the older and the wiser people coming and uh, consulting with Rehoboam and, and looking to give him some some wisdom. They said in verse 4, your father made our yoke heavy, referring to his father Solomon. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, come back to me after three days, and the people departed. And then verse 7, you see the, uh, uh, the advice of the older men. Uh, to Rehoboam it says if, if you are kind to these people and please them and speak God's word, speak good words to them they will be your servants forever and of course uh, he got one piece of advice from the elders and uh, another piece of advice from his peers look down verse 12 it says so, uh, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. Then the king answered them roughly. King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. This is what his peers told him to say. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. And uh, unfortunately for Rehoboam and for all the people, rather than listening to the wise counsel of the elders, he listened to his peers. And this is the way he responded. And as a result of this action, the kingdom was split. So lessons from the kings of Judah, what not to do. Are you ready? Don't reject wise counsel. Do not reject wise counsel. Can I give you a few hints today? You know everything that you know. So in order for you to learn something that you don't yet know, 
You can't get that from yourself because you already know what you know. I know that's deep. That's a heavy revy, but you know. And also keep this in mind. Most of your peers. May know as much as you know. In some cases, don't know as much as you know. There is something that is sound and scriptural about appreciating the, the wisdom and the experience of those who've been around for a while. However, there are those who've been around for a while who are just as lost as a goose in the snowstorm as anybody else's. So what's the qualifying factor? Well, let me put it to you the way the writer of Proverbs did in Proverbs 16:31. He said, the silver-haired head is a crown of righteousness if it is found in the way of righteousness. Now, you know, not everybody with silver hair that you have come in contact with was the brightest light bulb in the house. But you find silver hair in somebody who's living righteously, you have found a treasure. And uh, so I, I say to all of us that there is a value in being able to listen to, to people who are more seasoned than we are, people that are more experienced than we are. There is such a value in that. And, and especially when you know that the source from which it's coming is not just living long on planet Earth, but living long on planet Earth and serving the Lord. That's a winning combination there. And you know, if you want to really do well in life, uh, you, you know, sooner or later, you're going to have to learn some old school wisdom. Because there are things, see, in uh, uh, one sense, everybody wants to, to look at the, the, the new way of doing it and the, the new thing that's now. Well, that's the way it used to be and this is the way it is now. But, but when it comes to a God who does not change, there's some things that just aren't going to be new. As a matter of fact, in reality, there's nothing new under the sun anyway. So it's, uh, the idea of catching the new wave and being hip and being up with the most recent thing that's going on. And there's fads in the church, just like there's fads in the world. But there's something about holding on to some good old school wisdom. I mean, when it's right, it's right. And I'll tell you, you know, for, for many of us, if we don't get a hold of some old school wisdom, let me tell you what the result will be. You'll be old and still going to school. Some of you will catch that on the way home. All right. So what not to do as far as some things that we can gather from the lives of these kings. And uh, this is just good, uh, good common sense in some cases and some good spiritual sense in some others. But number one thing of what not to do. Uh, do not reject wise counsel. Another thing that I want to share with you today. Number two. Do not replace the authentic with a cheap imitation. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. Chapter 12. 
We're likely going to camp in 2 Chronicles today, so you won't have to turn a whole lot. 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Take a look at verse 9 and 10. This is also something that happened in the reign of Solomon's son, King Rehoboam. Chapter 12 and verse 9 says this. It says, so uh, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. One thing that I want to warn us about today is that I think in many ways we've either replaced ourselves Or have allowed to be replaced in our lives and in our thinking and in our view of things. The real gold with bronze. And we've allowed the authentic to be replaced with cheap imitations. And we see this signifying a lowering of standards. And settling with something being good enough. And I'll tell you, that's something that we need to be very cautious about in our lives of lowering standards, especially, you see, it's not possible to lower the standards of when those standards don't change. You can lower the standards in what you're living and what you're acting, but in the mind and the heart of God, it's always the same as always been. And uh, there's just a, uh, there's a danger for us if we're going to replace gold with bronze. Because when it comes to the things of God, you want the real thing. You don't want something that just looks like the real thing. You want the real thing. Like, hey, when it comes to diamonds, you, you want the real thing, which is real bling. Yeah, someone's about to sing diamonds are a girl's best friend. Come on now. Nobody going to get all excited about cubic zirconia. But I say to you today, are you discerning enough to tell the difference between the gold and the bronze? Where's your level of discernment? Because in order for us to be sure that we're not replacing the authentic things of God with a cheap imitation, then we need to be sure of this. We need to be able to tell what's what. And especially in the light of what the word of God says about the deception that would take place in this world in the last days. Do you know the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet? Do you know the difference between a false Christ and the true Christ? Do you know the difference between good doctrine and bad doctrine? 
it's very important for us to know the difference between the two and then to not allow anything in our life but only that which is authentic and to reject the cheap imitations that are offered to us by the enemy and by others in this world. Go for the real thing, family. Amen. Another thing that we see, go to uh, chapter 16, Second Chronicles. Do not rely on man instead of God. Do not rely on man instead of God. Now, just to refresh you, there's lessons from the kings of Judah, things not to do. Second Chronicles 16, look at verse 7. And it says, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Down at the end of verse 9, he makes this statement. In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. And this is a word that's being spoken to somebody who previously had quiet and rest in his kingdom. And now because of the foolish thing that he had done by relying on the king of Syria rather than the king of kings. Instead of continuing to have peace, he's put himself in a position where he's going to have war. And then it's unfortunate that we see a trend of relying on man instead of on God. Look in verse 12 and you see a continuation of that same kind of behavior. Verse 12, and in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. At one point, he relied on man instead of God. It cost him peace in his kingdom. The next time we see him relying on man instead of God, it cost him his life. Now, was he wrong for going to the doctor? No, he wasn't wrong for going to the doctor. He was wrong because he did not seek the Lord. He did not seek the Lord. And uh, how many of you realize that there's a need when things happen in our life where seeking the Lord is we don't mean it to be that way, but a lot of times it's somewhere down on the list. Because we think about all these other things that we got to do first and people we need to call and uh, need to get this done or that done and that done. And, and uh, our, our, our mind can, in, in some ways, 
have going to the Lord and seeking his counsel on it as a last resort. Okay, I've exhausted all I can do. I guess we need to pray now. When it would have been so much easier for you and everybody else if you prayed first, realizing not a whole lot you could do about it anyway. Now, is there a God side and a man side of things? Yes, and we're not downplaying the man side of things. Yeah, people need to do their due diligence when they're in a situation. They need to do what they're supposed to do. But not at the expense of seeking the Lord. Because our reliance, even when we're taking care of practical details of life, is not on any agency or any man or any person or any government. Our reliance always has to be on the Lord. And I'll tell you what, close examination of our lives can reveal to us areas where we have not done so. Where we've gotten off track and gotten our eyes on other people and other things. Instead of relying on the Lord and seeking him first. You want all things added to you. The Bible says how? Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But unfortunately when you don't seek the Lord. Rather than things being added. Things get subtracted. I don't want subtraction. There are two kinds of math I like. Addition and multiplication. How about you? All right. So, do not rely on man instead of God. Good sense? All right. Now we're really going to have some fun. Are you ready? There's my little drum roll. Here we go. Number four, do not relate with people who will take you off track. Do not relate with people who will take you off track. Now, uh, prior to the kingdom of Judah, we see the, uh, of course, the, the first king of Judah is Rehoboam, but his daddy Solomon, he had a little problem. Uh, actually, uh, maybe not so little, you know what I'm saying? Solomon had himself a woman problem. And someone said, yeah, Pastor Ray, you ain't even telling it how bad it really was. You know you got a problem when you have 700 wives and 300 concubines. But you know, the, the real issue with his wives was the fact that he took wives to him from other nations who did not know the Lord. And as a result of that, the scripture said that his wives influenced Solomon to go after their gods and departed from the one and only true and living God. And there's an example that's there in the life of Solomon that is very, 
fitting for all of us today. Don't get into relationships with people who are not serving the Lord. Can, can I give you that like giant print letters? Can I just flag you down? Help you remember this moment? Do something wild so that this really stands out in your mind. Do not get into a relationship with somebody who is not serving the Lord. Well, you say, well, my plan is to go ahead and uh, save them. Well, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Einstein, let me tell you that the enemy's plan is to get you off track with your relationship with God and rather than chasing after the Lord, chasing after other things. Solomon probably thought he could handle it. He said when they come and check out the temple and how beautiful the temple is and when they, when they check out my church, yeah, we'll be all right. But no, what happened is rather than Solomon exercising influence on these women to serve the Lord, they exercised influence on him to go and chase after other gods. Oh, Lordy. Let's see. We're, we're in Second Chronicles all day. Go to chapter 18. That's the great thing about something like this. We can stay in one book. Chapter 18. And I want to look at uh, some issues that King Jehoshaphat had in this area. Second Chronicles. Chapter 18. Look at verse 1. It said, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance. And by marriage, he allied himself with Ahab. Now, just in case you don't know who Ahab was. Ahab was a very bad dude. And Ahab was married to this woman. You might recognize her name a little more quicker. Ahab's wife's name was Jezebel. That's not the kind of alliance you want to have there. So that's one mistake that Jehoshaphat made in that area. Uh, look at chapter 19. That's 18.1. Look at 19 verse 2. The words of a prophet here it says, And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Now, we understand this, that should we love those who hate the Lord? Yeah. We love those who hate the Lord because we're trying to reach them. But the idea of having an unhealthy relationship and an unhealthy bond and an unhealthy alliance with someone who doesn't love the Lord, there is a big issue with that. Amen. 
Now, we're right next door to chapter 20. Go to chapter 20. And we're going to see another instance here in the life of Jehoshaphat. Are you learning something today? All right. After this, uh, this is chapter 20, verse 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezion Geber. But uh, Eliezer, the son of Dodova of Marisha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. I tell you, how many of you have ever gotten into an alliance with somebody, into a relationship with somebody that has caused some things in your life to get wrecked? You see the danger of that. Romantic relationships, business relationships, you know, you enter into it good hearted. Good-hearted and in some cases dumb at the same time. We've all been there. I ain't throwing no rocks. But I, I, want, I want to heed wisdom. I want to do as much as I can to heed wisdom just by learning from the bumps on somebody else's head. You know that's the best way to learn things? Learn things from the bumps of others and not your own? You do have enough of your own. You want to minimize those. Hallelujah. But I want to go back to something here. Go to, uh, go to chapter 21 of 2 Chronicles. And, and you remember the first verse we read about Jehoshaphat was a reference to him uh, that by marriage he had allied himself with Ahab. And this elaborates on this a little bit more. Second Chronicles 21. Let's take a look at verse 5. This is talking about Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram. Verse 5. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. And he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And I want you to realize something here. That it is likely to me that if Jehoshaphat didn't have any kind of hookup or connection with Ahab, it is likely that his son Jehoram would not have had a hookup with Ahab's daughter and would not have been exposed to all the junk that Ahab was into. So a lesson for parents, oh Lordy, be careful who you're hanging out with. 
Because though you may not be influenced necessarily, you've got little eyes and little ears around you that just might be influenced. And it was the case right here. How serious that is. Guard against relationships that are not rooted in God and in the word of God. Do not relate with people who will take you off track. Number five. Lessons that we learn of what not to do from the kings of Judah. Do not rewrite the rules. Do not rewrite the rules. And in this segment here, I want to look specifically at the issue of idolatry. And uh, the the fact that idolatry was sadly so rampant in many of these uh, kings' lives and in their reigns shows something. that, That for them, they were rewriting the rules because... It's not that they did not go. I'm sorry. It's not that they did not know. That God had condemned this kind of behavior. Idolatry, worshiping other gods, you know, getting involved in strange rituals and uh, uh, contacting familiar spirits and all that kind of mess. It's not that they didn't know that it was wrong and that God had condemned it. Is that they knew it, but they went and did it anyway. And they decided to rewrite the rules and have their very own set of rules that applied to them. And you just can't do that. You can't rewrite the Bible. You can't rewrite God's expectation or God's standard. It is what it is. If something needs to change, it's not that that changes. It's me and you who change and adjust to him. Amen. And thank God he's made a way that we can by the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Are you glad about that? So he's made the way for us to adjust to him and to be all that we're called to be and created to be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But never, ever be in a position where you can tell yourself it's okay to do something that you just flat know it's not okay. Second Chronicles 28. Hallelujah. Second Chronicles 28. Look at the king of Ahaz here. Verse 1 says this, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Right there in the same chapter, chapter 28, look at verse 22. 
It says, now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. Wow. Oh, let that sink in, huh? Go to chapter 33. I know some of y'all think, well, I don't have any idols in my yard. We're not burning incense in my house. We ain't doing nothing like that, so I'm all right. Oh, boy. Wait till we get done with you today. Second Chronicles 33. Look, verse 1. This is about King Manasseh. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations. Interesting. We just read that over in chapter 28, that little term, according to the abominations of the nations. Well, I just won't do what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is doing it. Yeah. Everybody else is doing it, but everybody else is going to pay the price. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 2, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals and made wooden images. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord. And those weren't altars to the Lord he was building. Which is an interesting thing. Uh, You may want to write this statement down. Don't give what belongs to the Lord to anything or anyone else. Don't give what belongs to the Lord to anything or to anyone else. Because the house of the Lord is where, as verse 4 says here, where the Lord had said, in Jerusalem shall my name be forever. This was God's real estate. This was God's territory. This house was dedicated for the worship of Jehovah and Jehovah only. And this King Manasseh was taking God's real estate And using what belonged to God for other gods. In verse 6, it says, Also he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting what we allow to be okay in our household says a whole lot about where our priorities are. What we allow ourselves to, to see and to hear on television and what we allow our children to be exposed to. And I'll tell you, It is something that is so vital for us 
to keep stuff that would take away the place of the Lord in our hearts. See, a lot, a lot of times, you, you've got time that should be the Lord's that you're using on other stuff. Time. In a lot of cases, you've got money that should be the Lord's that you're using on other stuff. And overall, your, your attention and your focus is here, there, and everywhere and being distracted and, and, and being pulled at from every different direction. When that focus and attention should be on the Lord. I mean, where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to get your help? Well, I just need some me time. Yeah, you, you've had plenty of me time. We can tell. And while you're giving yourself some me time, you can sing. It's all about me. Look out now. I'm not telling you not to rest, not to relax. But there's a lot of cases in our life where we've had something that the Lord shouldn't have. But we haven't given the Lord what is his. It's been uh, allocated elsewhere. And there's a problem with that. Because when you're given what belongs to the Lord to anything or anyone else, isn't that what idolatry really is? And 1 John 5.21 says this word, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Which lets me know something. Idolatry wasn't just an Old Testament problem. It was a New Testament problem too. But with your children and, and, and what you allow your children to be exposed to, that, that, that's another very important part of this equation. Because you're not just guarding uh, what place the Lord has in your life, but while you've got children in your house, you, you're guarding the, the, uh, uh, the place that the Lord has in their lives and looking to to set a, a pattern and teach them a pattern of having the Lord and his word and his way as first and the thing that guides everything else in life. That this is not second. This is not what we do on Sundays and then the rest of the week we just do whatever we want. If you live in that way, you're just going to crash, I'm telling you. But we're talking about living in a way where this is the standard by which we guide all the rest of our life. And, and let, let me ask you this about children. Remember, side note, remember when they, they came to Jesus with the coin and said, is it lawful to pay uh, tax to Caesar or not? And Jesus looked at the coin and he said, whose image is on there? And they said, it's Caesar's image. To which Jesus responded, well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God's. Well, if you're going to give to God what belongs to God, let me ask you this regarding your children. Whose image are your children created in? Hey. <laughs> Whose image are your children created in? Your children, you can say, well, this one looks like mommy, this one looks like daddy. We're not talking about that. 
We're talking about ultimately the book of Genesis chapter one created in the image of God. Whose image is on there? God's image. So let me tell you something. Give unto God what belongs to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Give to God what belongs to God. So the whole heart of that idolatry issue, to do it right is to make sure that God has what's his. And the whole issue of what idolatry is, is if you take what belongs to him and you give it to something or somebody else. Do not resist God. Don't turn away from him. We see several references of kings of Judah turning away from the Lord. You can write a few of these down. You got 2 Chronicles 25, 14 through 15, where Amaziah, uh, uh, though he started right, he he ended up uh, setting up to be his own gods, the gods of the people of Seir. And burn incense to them. That's 2 Chronicles 25, 14 to 15. But I, I want to look at one thing in particular. Uh, look at uh, chapter 36. Chapter 36. My Lord, my Lord. Don't resist God by turning away from him. Where you know he's calling you one way. You know where he's, he's summoning you. He's saying, this is the right way to go. Come on, this is it. And you say, oh yeah, 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 yeah. How, how, how many of us have just given the Lord the wave like that sometime? It's a serious word, but hey, we, you know, we just got to do what we got to do today. How, how, how many of us have said, Y'all, oh yeah, Lord, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're yesing them. But our legs are knowing them. You know what I'm saying? It's what, what the prophet Isaiah described as you, you, you draw near to me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. You know, we're, we're yes in the Lord, but, but it, uh, it's what we're doing that, that is the, the, the real issue. And uh, you can resist God. And rebel against God. Now this is serious. But I've got to tell you this. It is possible. If you push the envelope to a point. That it's. Uh, it's just too, too far gone. And that there's going to be some. Judgment. Take place. That cannot be reversed. Now God's very patient, kind, merciful. There's a lot of space before you get to that point. But is it possible to get to that point where you bring judgment upon yourself? Absolutely, positively. I would be lying if I told you otherwise. Second Chronicles 36. We'll look at King Zedekiah here as we're getting ready to close. And then we're going to partake of the Lord's table today. Zedekiah, verse, uh, chapter 36, verse 11, was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. 
And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear an oath by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more. According to all the abominations of the nations. And defiled the house of the Lord which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their father sent warnings to them by his messengers. Rising up early and sending them. Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God. Despised his words and scoffed at his prophets. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people. Till there was no remedy. Now that's heavy duty stuff. But this is something we need to take a look at. I never want to be found. Resisting God and rebelling against God. And pushing the envelope, and pushing the envelope, and pushing the envelope to the point where I get myself into such trouble that there's not a remedy left. Does that mean I'm eternally lost? It may not mean that I'm eternally lost at that moment. But it may mean that I'm going to have to deal with a whole lot of pain. And a whole lot of things, not that God's bringing upon me, but that I've allowed myself to be exposed to by my disobedience. I mean, you know, it's it's as simple as this. You know, we we talk about God's going to get you, you know, and you know, the real truth of the matter, you just step out from under the umbrella when it's raining, you're going to get wet. And to get to the point where there's no remedy, where Things got pushed so far that something's going to happen that you're not going to like. But what does the word have to say about that? Well, the Bible does say this, that as far as God and his way of dealing with us, the Lord is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. You know what slow to anger means? It means means the Lord can get angry, but that he'd rather not. He delights in mercy. Mercy is always his first course of action. He, he, he'd plead with you, say, do this the easy way. Oh, it'd be so much easier on you if you get it right now. Do the right thing now. Get it straightened out now. Uh, he's slow to anger. He doesn't want to go there. But he does eventually get there. Is it, does he go there because he wanted to go there? No, he, the reason he's slow to get there is because he doesn't want to go there. He'd rather you make the smart decision and take the right way out. I remember Jesus standing before the city of Jerusalem saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you. He said, how often I would have gathered you together As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. So he's talking about what he wanted to do, what was in his heart to do, 
But he said, I would have did it if you let me, but you didn't let me. And then the next thing he said, behold, your house shall be desolate. He said, I could have, basically what he's saying is that you could have avoided that. You could have avoided that if you let me help you. You could have avoided that if you would have listened to my warnings. If, we, if you would have to just come to me, you, you didn't have, it didn't have to go there. But because you kept on resisting and rebelling and not listening, it did eventually go there. But the good news is this. We see this in the, from the words of Jesus over in the book of Revelation. Where he talks about space to repent. Room to repent. And I'll tell you what. While you've got room to get something right, take advantage of the moment and get it right. While you've got room, while, the, while there's still some space left and before you whoop, run out of space, get it right. Get it right. How wonderful it is to get something right. Because you knew it was the right thing to do and you just said, that's it. We're changing and we're doing it right. Rather than have to be backed into a corner because of disobedience. And then you're in a position where, oh, well, I guess I really got to do the right thing now. Why change by crisis when you can change by a simple choice? Why let crisis have to push you into the corner when you could just change? Because I just want to please God. I just want to do the right thing. I I just love him. I want to please him. And you can avoid such a mess by doing so. Can you say amen? Well, let's take heed to these lessons. And examine your own heart today. Because these things were not just written as a little history lesson for us. No, there's some things here that we need to look at and examine our own life by it. Make sure that we're on track with the Lord. Is this serious? Yeah. But Brussels sprouts are good for you. Amen. All right. I like Brussels sprouts anyhow. But let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we honor you and give you glory. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the impact that you're having on our lives by your word and by your spirit prompting us and, and getting our attention and, and flagging us down and saying, don't, don't go in the wrong direction. Turn back to me. Hallelujah. And Lord, we today in this place, we make a decision to heed the call of God and to not run red lights and blow through the stop signs that are up in our life. But we make a decision to obey the Lord. So rather than getting to the point where there's no remedy left, thank you, Lord, that we can enjoy our remedy in Christ, that which has been bought for and paid for. 
And that we don't have to get ourselves into a position of judgment due to disobedience when we could be enjoying a life of ultimate blessing and joy and satisfaction because of our obedience. So today in this place, let me ask you a question. Do you not know the Lord Jesus? You can know him today. And I tell you, he sure do loves you. And you may take a look at your life and you may say, well, yeah, life's been pretty good, but you know, I, I got some stuff, got a car and a house and got some nice things, but I still feel a big hole inside of me. That's a hole Jesus can fill for you today. If you're here today and, and you might say, you know what? I just know my life's a wreck. Nobody has to tell me I know my life's a wreck. Well, then what a blessing that is. You don't need a whole lot to figure it out. You know.